I'd like to read with you once again uh, two verses from the 17th Psalm, verses 7 and 8. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. May the Lord so add his blessing to the proclamation of his word that we may be strengthened both in faith and in faithfulness. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of us grew up in homes with several delft blue plates on the wall. And some of those plates would be emblazed with a little Dutch saying. And one of them had a saying which translated into English said, In the concert of life, no one gets a program. In the concert of life, uh, no one gets a program. It was a way of trying to say no one really knew how life would unfold. And as we reflect on our own lives, uh, I'm sure that you too recall occasions and situations which have taken you by complete surprise. Situations in your life, you, you thought, now how did this come to be as it has come? When we were dealing with the so-called COVID matters several years ago, and even spoken of today, that, that came to us uh, in ways uh, that we were unaware. And it came to us in ways that people responded in different ways. There have been circumstances, I'm sure, that you could identify in your lives that have troubled you and at times troubled you deeply. Perhaps it's uh, an illness that is uh, debilitating. It could have been the loss of a loved one, as you remember, as you sorrow and remember sorrow. There may have been work situations that did not turn out. There may be family difficulties, brokenness even in the family, marriages that are going through the motions, work that is not very satisfying. We live in a culture that is uh, unraveling before our eyes. And and I'm sure if we went down each pew, there would be uh, a concern, a, a hurt, and perhaps even a tear. And in some cases, tears that seem to have no end. Now, how important it is that as a congregation, as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we never lose sight of the fact that we here are a hospital and that we are to be the hands and feet that come alongside one another, both in joy and in sorrow. Indeed so, life's pathway brings struggles for all of us. This world is no friend to grace. We have our own stumblings. And life will bring from our perspective the perplexity of the unknowns and troubling situations. And yet we must confess 
that there are no surprises with God. In faith, we can confidently be certain that we serve a God who knows the beginning from the end. God has a plan and a purpose. And God chose his way by his grace, demonstrated so clearly in the love of the Savior. We must never lose sight of our calling to trust in the Lord, not to lean on our own understanding. The Lord God is the sovereign God. And in that sense, the program in the concert of life is very well defined. Even so, we are not omniscient. That is to say, we do not know what our life holds from moment to moment. It was certainly David's experience. And as you know from your study of Scripture, David's life had many ups and downs, hunted like a, a fugitive by his own father-in-law, Saul. Brokenness in the family. Conspiracy to take his life by his own son. There were the consequences of his own many sins. And we think of his coveting lust for Bathsheba. The shameful adultery. And the cover-up attempts even to the extent of the appalling murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah. And yet the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And in Psalm 17... We, we hear with the ears of faith and we see with the eyes of faith something of David's faith. David desires the Lord's fellowship as he pours out his heart to God. David, too, faced many situations that baffled him. He, he too, in that sense, did not hold a, a program to the concert of life. This is next, and this is next, and this is next. No. And so David had come to know how important it was to appeal to the Lord, to uphold his steps. And, and we find that often in the book of the Psalms, don't we, congregation? Where is that? The people uh, who pour out their hearts to the Lord seek so much the Lord's guidance step by step. Psalm 17 is brimful, brimful with the testimony of David's faith and even more importantly, God's love toward those who live in covenant relationship with him. And as we but briefly listen to the teaching of Psalm 17, we, we do so in faith, seeking to make David's testimony our own. We might walk alongside David, as it were, in order to be strengthened in our own confidence. And to that end, we, we want to speak a word on David's plea for God's presence. And secondly, uh, we want to hear again something of his petitions for perseverance and in the third place, uh, in conclusion, a triumphant and penetrating, penetrating uh, proclamation. A plea for God's presence. David is pleading his case as if he were 
in a law court. He is appealing to the judge, the almighty God. And and let's hear his voice again in the first two verses of Psalm 17, where he cries out, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from thy presence and let thy eyes look on the things that are upright. David, as you could hear, is pleading for a hearing with God. Lord, I need your ears. Listen to my cry. David is, is praying not just a, a, a rote prayer, but he's praying with a clear conscience, an open heart, a, a heart that, that so much desires the Lord's attention. He, he prays with lips free of deceit. Now, now that does not mean he, he's denying that he is a sinner. Nobody can say that. But he is praying knowing that there are no specific charges against him. He's praying with a contrite heart. He's praying with a heart that, that has sought the Lord's nearness and forgiveness and reconciliation. He, he acknowledges in humility that he is seeking to live a life that follows God's commandments. It's a prayer that comes from an honest heart. And indeed, beloved, that is the kind of heart that we are to pray with. We can hide nothing from God. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And our prayers must thus reflect the honesty that the Lord expects of us in our sin and in our weakness and in our hope and in our trust. Now, David recognizes that in the circle of his life uh, there are those who are living the lifestyle of deceit. Verses 9 through 14 make that very clear. And in these verses, he, he characterizes such deceit as, as the wicked who would do him violence. They are like lions in their ruthlessness and cruelty. They're, they're lurking in ambush, waiting for their chance. They're, they're tracking him. You know the story. They're surrounding him in an attempt to throw him down. And it's not for nothing, congregation, that the devil is called a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The evil one is constantly busy, constantly using the deceit of the human heart to accomplish his purposes. And when we think of that word deceit, we must recognize it as a dirty word. And words like pretense, treachery, guile, fraud, double-dealing, duplicity come to mind. When we encounter the deceitfulness of another, it brings disappointment and, and hurt and even shock. And, and we say in our hearts, now how did this come to be? Well, in society we see that all around us, do we not? 
You've heard more than once, and you know yourselves that more and more right is called wrong, and wrong is called right. As someone else has once noted, a, a, a new paradigm, a new way of thinking has, has come to, to dominate uh, our society. And it's a, it's a, we must say it's a revolution of deceit so far as it concerns the society of, that we are a part of. It goes like this. First, what was once universally condemned is now celebrated. What once was universally recognized as wrong is now called right. Number two, what was once universally celebrated as upright and just and such is now condemned. And number three, uh, those who refuse to celebrate what once was condemned are now themselves condemned. The structures of Christian sensibilities are no longer holding. And we regret that and we pray to the Lord for renewal and revival and repentance and restoration. But that very same renewal and revival and repentance and reformation needs to also live amongst us. And honesty demands that we admit, even in our praying, there can be deceit. And if our prayers are not heartfelt, is there not a measure of deceit? Sometimes we can, I know from experience too, lift up words to the Lord and hardly know the words that I lifted up. And we're not... If we're not honest with ourselves, how can we be honest with God? Praying through the motions is, is very dangerous, very dangerous. But the Lord gives us a testimony of genuine prayer in Psalm 17. David's prayer is a, a testimony of genuineness. His voice cries out as if he's, he's almost shouting to get God's attention. Lord, hear me. He's asking for vindication from those who would seek to tear him apart. And he's praying that his vindication may come from the presence of the Lord. The David has been tested. He has been scrutinized by the Lord himself. And he is in earnest for God's presence in his life as he deals with his troubling circumstances. It brings us back to our own situation. How is it, beloved, that you experience the presence of God in your life? How is it that you enjoy the company of the Lord? And is it your experience to experience fellowship with the Lord as you pray? Even as, as your prayer might be a simple sigh that you lift to the Lord. Do you understand that, that the Lord is with us, few in number, but the Lord is with us as we have gathered together here in the courts of the Lord. Oh, how we need so much the presence of the Lord God to be in close fellowship with him. We all need the comfort that the Lord is with us, the strengthening comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ, body and soul. 
in life and in that moment of death when we leave this world for the next. And to that end, we hear David lift his prayers for the gift of perseverance, for the, for the gift of keeping on, for the Lord's protecting hand. And we've come now to our second point, a petition for perseverance. Prayer, as we learn in our study of the Heidelberg Catechism, is essential to the Christian life. And in the Catechism, we remind ourselves it is to be the chief part of our thankfulness. Bunyan, Bunyan said prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. And we know that God uses the prayers of his people. He's pleased to receive those prayers. And in those prayers, we demonstrate our dependence upon God as we lift our heart's concerns to him. When we pray for the hallowing of his name and and the coming of his kingdom and his perfect will, we are praying that God's cause might become our own. We are praying with a focus not on ourselves, but on God's glory. But God also wants us to pray, testifying to our great need in order that we might recognize over and again that that our cares are God's caregiving. And so we pray for daily bread. We pray for forgiveness of our sins and Lord for the grace to forgive those who have offended us for protection from temptation in the recognition of his power and his glory when we pray we pray for God's ear hear me and we pray with the conviction that the believer's lip is close to the Lord's ear David was praying for a just cause, his cause as he faced a a deep spiritual battle. Just as spiritual battles encounter us and as we will face them again in the week that the Lord has set before us. Now David has believed his cause to be just. He has searched his heart for deceit. He has been very busy with that uh, spiritual discipline of self-examination. And as he prays for God to judge him righteously, he prays for God's protecting preservation. He is praying out of the confession uh, that needs the comfort and the certainty that all God's people need, the perseverance of the saints. And also in our confessional standards, we have a very strong, beautiful confession that recognizes what we may hold near and dear to our hearts. I read with you just but one brief article. It is not in consequence of their own merits or strength, but of God's free mercy that they, that is believers, do not fall totally from faith and grace, nor continue and perish finally in their backslidings, with respect to themselves is not only possible, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, 
it is utterly impossible since his counsel cannot be changed nor his promise fail. Neither can the call according to his purpose be revoked nor the merit, intercession and preservation of Christ be rendered ineffectual nor the sealing of the Holy Spirit be frustrated or obliterated. It's the fifth head of doctrine. I encourage you to look at that again later today. Article 8. Article 8. Now, when we do confess with joy in our hearts the perseverance of the saints, the preservation of God's love upon us, that does not mean we just sit back as if the Christian life is just a simple pathway with, a, with easy steps. No, the, the devil's assault is strong. The devil, we understand from the Holy Scriptures, is the accuser who wishes to destroy whatever faith we have. And he wants to accuse us of being a people that have no business with the things of God. And thus, when we ask God for his ear, we must pray honestly, fervently. When you count, and depending how you look at Psalm 17, you, you can count up to 17 petitions. David is uh, making a profession of his God-given piety. He, he is confident he is a child of the Lord. And he says, Lord, hear my prayer. Oh, Lord, incline your ear to me. Please, Lord, show me the wonder of your great love. Lord, I so much desire to experience thy marvelous loving kindness. Or in other words, oh God, be faithful to your covenant promise. Help me to rest in your faithfulness. Help me to realize with confidence the covenant mercy that enjoys the pardon of the Lord. Covenant blessing that brings about a confident joy, which in turn calls us to a life of service in God's kingdom. Now, the prayer of Psalm 17 is not only seeking God's ear, but also God's eye. God's eye. He prays, examine me, Lord, examine me. May your eyes see what is right. Then I will know my vindication. Then I will know that I stand in the right and may those same eyes keep me, keep me as the apple of your eye. Now, when you think of that phrase, what beauty, what beauty in David's prayer. The apple of the eye refers to that, that small centerpiece, the pupil. And the Hebrew word in this context is literally as a little man. Apparently, you can see your reflection in the pupil of someone else's eye, so to speak, as a little person. Now, you know the eye to be one of the most vulnerable parts of your body. You protect it by blinking. If something comes flying towards you, you might uh, turn your face or, or duck, uh, damage the pupil, and you will probably lose sight in your eye. And I know that from experience. And I love the way Spurgeon puts it. No part of the body is more precious, more tender, 
more carefully guarded than the eye. And of the eye, no portion more particularly to be protected than the central apple, the pupil. The all-wise creator has placed the eye in a well-protected position. It stands surrounded by protecting bones like Jerusalem surrounded by mountains. And moreover, its great author has surrounded it with many tunics of inward covering besides the, the hedge of the eyebrow, the curtain of the eyelid, the fence of the eyelashes. In addition, he has given to each one so high a value for his eyes and so quick an apprehension of danger that no member of the body is so faithfully cared for than the organ of sight. David prays, keep me the apple of your eye. He does not pray, uh, make me the apple, but keep me the apple. And do you hear, beloved, the difference? Not make me the apple, but keep me the apple. David recognizes his gracious status he has received. You might say, well, how can that be? How can it be after all the sinful and and willful blunders in his life, the wrong steps, the blatant disobedience evident in David's life? When David did slip, he slipped far, far down the slippery slope. And you might think of yourself, how can I be the apple of God's eye. My sin too is great. I too have missed the mark. I too have broken, transgressed God's holy law. But listen to what the Lord says in his word. Keep me. Keep me. David prays for the Lord's protection because he is precious in the Lord's sight. Now how can that be and how does that come to be? It is because by the bounty of God's grace through faith that we are united to the true and complete apple of God's eye, the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved Son. Christ, the perfect image bearer of God's eye. In Christ's baptism, the Father announced, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, there was another announcement from heaven, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Christ, the perfect representation of the very apple found in God's eye. And when we know this by faith to be true for ourselves... We know then that, come what may, ultimately we are well protected, for he will hide us in the shadow of his wings. He is powerful to preserve his people in the perseverance that we so much need. The Father sees his children through the pupil of the eye of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the promise of the Lord to his people. And we must believe it. We must act upon it. We must listen to Jesus when he says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You and I, we, we cannot be passive. We cannot say, oh, well, we've just heard another sermon. No, the word of God must be close to us, and we must hold it dearly. As a mother bird raises her wing, you've seen this, to protect her young ones. So God in Christ protects his own little ones. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin. The double cure, the double cure, save from guilt and make me pure. Christ, the solid rock upon which we stand. And when we, when we ponder these matters, when we think about them deeply, then how our hearts must flutter with joy. Not only flutter, but jump with joy. Then the concert that sings in our heart is full. When we think of the shadow of God's wing, just a shadow, that's enough. That's enough. And so we, in the context of God's ear and his eye that David prays for, also hear of God's hand, God's hand to deliver his people. Lord, by your mighty hand, save me. David is, is, is asking the Lord to, to use uh, the wicked to destroy each other. It's, it's a very strong request that he lifts to the Lord. And, and we see that more often in Scripture. Babylon is, is used as a hammer to bruise the nations. Assyria is used as a rod to scourge the children of Israel. Satan is allowed by God to bring affliction to Job. There is the sifting of Peter, even as Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. There is the buffeting that the Apostle Paul experienced. But enemies will not have the last say. And our depraved culture that we are experiencing will not have the last word. And that brings us to David's triumphant conclusion in the concluding verse of Psalm 17. It ends on a very Beautiful high notes. And let's hear that verse once again. As for me, and I trust that you could find your place in this verse as well. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. In another translation, we, we read, I will be fully satisfied, for I will see you face to face. Uh, David knows that while at the moment-to-moment -moment program of his life is unknown, the ultimate destiny is sure. He will be fully satisfied. He will see the Lord God face to face. It reminds me of 
1 John 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, did you hear that? When he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. It's amazing. Simply amazing. What the Lord has yet in store for his people. What we, by God's grace, may hold tightly in our hearts. And so when we pray, we are not only seeking God's ear, his eye, his hand, but also his face. We are praying for the day when we will see God face to face, the very likeness of God, the day that we will see Jesus. The Lord is busy even now preparing a place for a prepared people. But one day his preparations will be complete and he will come again. Long ago, God told Moses, no one can see my face and live. Almighty God is holy and our sin separates us from his holiness. Only Jesus Christ by his holiness can unite us in fellowship with our triune God. And what a glorious gospel message belongs to all those who confess Christ in truth. A message that this perishing world so desperately needs to hear. So desperately. David knows that the day is coming when he will enjoy the fullness of God's presence. A presence open to us by the presence of Christ in our lives. A greater David, Jesus Christ. Also in prayer pleaded for God's presence. But on Golgotha. Golgotha, it was turned away. It was withdrawn. God turned his face away from the Redeemer. The Redeemer he sent in love to this sin-cursed world. And there in the pitch black darkness, Jesus endured the wrath of God against sin. Your sin, my sin. And he did so that we might enjoy the presence of God for eternity. How humbling that must be to us. And how strengthening that must be to us. You know, we can often become guilty of reading our Bibles too fast. We need to take it slowly and soak it in. To read it as if David himself was right beside us. To read it as if we were wearing David's shoes. And then to be purposeful, purposeful, living with the confidence that the program, the concert of our lives is well defined. When we trust Jesus, we may know without a shadow of a doubt that our lives are secure. And may our prayer be that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would work his comfort in our souls. And may God's praise be our delight today and every day.